0: Well, good morning. Let's try that again on this rainy day. Good morning. Hey, all right, wake you up a little bit. Hey, thanks for our music team leading us in worship through song, and um, super excited to dive in here and worship through God's word together. Uh, I do want to make mention of this. Jay and Faith are in Canada, in Toronto, right now celebrating uh, Potter's House of Toronto's third anniversary. Isn't that an awesome third anniversary. So if you, if you would say this with me, happy birthday, Potter's House of Toronto. All right. Well, happy birthday. Uh, I'm so excited that our happy anniversary birthday, something like, yeah, go, go along with that, right? Um, it, it's a, a great day for them to celebrate. Uh, they're up there, and uh, there'll be ordaining deacons. Um, uh, this weekend that today. And then also from that, it, eventually, uh, God will call some men to serve as elders uh, there at the uh, Potter's House of Toronto. So super excited for them. That's where they are. Well, uh, I feel like it's been a while since I've been up here. It's been over a month, I think five weeks or so. Um, my name, if you're visiting with us, my name is Brian McKenzie. I have the privilege to serve as one of the elders here at the Potter's house, normally teach about twice a month, um, but you all got the reprieve for the last five weeks. I guess that we could say that. But uh, I'm ex- I'm really excited about this passage. I guess this is a dangerous thing. You, uh, I'm not teaching for five weeks, and then um, I've been thinking about this message for three weeks. Yeah, yeah silence. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, that's what, that's what you get for three, after three weeks of preparation, no. Um And and I would say. I know Jay would say this the first two messages in Ruth. I would say that this would be one, these thir- 13 verses, we could spend weeks mining out the truths that are in here, and, and, and this is one of those passages that just filled my heart. It's filled my heart and um, met me where I was and it's taking me where I need to go, so uh, I, I encourage you um, uh, to just ask the Lord to, to move you where he needs you to go, so you'll be, as Jay said last week, be at the right place at the right time. So with that said, uh, we're going to continue this series in the book of Ruth, and the the title this morning of the message, this is part three, uh, is taken from Ruth 2, 1 through 13, A Man of Standing, A Man of Standing. And, And I've got a subtitle for it, though, which will really be the real title when it's all said and done, okay? Here's my subtitle, all right? From Ruth 2, 1 through 13, The Powerful and Personal Providence of God on Display the powerful and personal providence of God on display. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, I'd encourage you to take that out and turn it to Ruth chapter 2. Well, before we examine those verses, our verses for this morning, we always want to set things in, in, in context. We want to review from last week or the first couple of weeks and, and bring us up to speed to where we are so we make sure that we're interpreting God's Word based on its context. And so during the past two weeks, Jay's walked us through the first chapter of Ruth. And last week, Jay specifically taught verses 14 through 22 of chapter 1. And uh, Jay began taking us began by taking us to Joshua 3, Joshua 3 to illustrate the main point or the main truth taught in those verses from Ruth. And in Joshua 3, Jay reminded us of the fact that the Lord's plan was to get his people into the promised land. In order to do that, they're going to have to cross the Jordan River. And not only cross the Jordan River, but cross the Jordan River at high season when the the water was most fierce. I love how God does things. You know, if it was just trickling, anybody could have said, well, anybody could have done that. Well, the water wasn't trickling, it was roaring down this river. I grew up on the Ohio River. Um, really close to that. And, and there's undercurrents, all that stuff in the Ohio River. I grew up in Kentucky right across from Ohio. And you wouldn't want to walk in that at high time. You wouldn't want to walk in it at all because you wouldn't be able to walk in it because it's too deep. But this river, the Jordan, was was rushing. And the Lord's plan was for this, was the priest who were carrying the ark was to walk, step out into the water. And as soon as they stepped out in the water, the Lord would. Stop the flow of the water. And one side would keep going and the other would just stop, just pile up right there. And, and, and the Israelites, going in the promise, they would walk on dry ground right across. Sounds familiar, right? The beginning of their journey and the end of their journey, God was at work. But his plan was to use these priests through their obedience of stepping out into the water, trusting him, to get his people to the promised land. That was his plan, and and God chose to do it this way, that their obedience would be the thing he would use to accomplish his plan. They needed to be in the right place at the right time so God would accomplish his plan. Now Jay and I talked about this, and we both agreed that what if they decided, you know what, I'm I'm not doing that, no way. You know what? God's plan was still getting to the promised land. Do you think that would've stopped God's plan? He would've found somebody else to be used by him to accomplish his purposes. Isn't that good news? Uh, I think it's great news. So uh, from that, being at the right place at the right time, then Jay took us to Ruth 1, 14 through 22 and showed us how Naomi and Ruth's obedience to the Lord put them in the right place at the right time to accomplish God's plan. And we saw how Ruth had, some, some, uh, Ruth had come to reject the false god, Chemosh, of the uh, the Moabites, and trust in the one true God, Yahweh, who was willing. She was willing to follow him by going to Jerusalem with Naomi to a people and a culture she didn't know. She wasn't familiar with those people or their culture in that setting. So her obedience was going to place her in the, what, the right place at the right time, right? And Ruth, this, this, this would put... Naomi, would, uh, Naomi also was going to be the right place at the right time. We saw how Naomi must have been obeying the Lord's call to go back home, to go back to Jerusalem, which also put her at the right place at the right time. She was being used by the Lord to accomplish His plan, although listen, she didn't realize it at the time. We just saying about this: Even when we don't see it, he's working. Even when we don't feel it, He is working. Naomi didn't see that and we know she didn't feel it. She felt the exact opposite of that. But God was at work accomplishing his, plan, his accomplishing his plan through Naomi and Ruth. Then we saw the last words of verse 22 and said this, and they came to Bethlehem, we're going to look at these in a few minutes again, at the beginning of barley harvest. And these words more than hinted that Bethlehem was the right place. And the beginning of of the barley harvest was the right time. And in order to be in the right place in the right time, it's imperative that we follow God's word. For us. Jay asked this question. I'll just pull pull it back up here for all of us. How focused are you on being in the right place at the right time when it comes to God's plan for your life? How, How focused are we at being at the right place at the right time. My prayer is we are very focused. He is working his plan and he will use us to bring it to pass. I love that. It's important to be reminded again, as I kind of mentioned this, of what God says through Job um, about his plan. I love this. It says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now, we don't use that word. I like that word, thwart. Say that 20 times real fast, right? Nothing can thwart his plan. What that mean? Nothing can stop God's plan and his purposes. Nothing. Nothing. And we're going to see that all through the book of Ruth. You see it all through Scripture. But that's good news. Nothing can stop his plan. Well, with that review, let's now turn our attention to our passage of Scripture for today. Ruth 2, 1 through 13. If you'd stand with me as we read God's word as we always do uh, together. Here we go, beginning in verse 1. Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I might find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, May the Lord be with you. And they said to him, May the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his servant, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? The servant in charge of the reapers replied, She is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Then Boaz said to Ruth, listen carefully, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Indeed, I have commanded the servants not to touch you. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband had been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth, and came to the people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work, and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we, we just heard you speak. As we read your word aloud, we heard you speak to us. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd open our heart to receive what it, what we need to understand, what we need to know, what we need to put to practice from your passage of scripture this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, as we examine these verses in chapter two, verses one through thir- thirteen, this morning, I- I'm going to do something a little bit different uh, than than I normally do and, and and than I normally have done because we're going through First and Second Timothy, which are letters. They're letters, and and, and those letters that the Lord wrote through Paul usually kind of lay out truth in a systematic way, like boom, 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 boom. Well, Ruth is not a letter. Ruth is a story. It's a narrative, okay? And so the truth is interwoven throughout the story, It's not like, hey, point number one, point number two. Often Paul writes like that in his letters, especially in Romans. You see that in Galatians. It's just one after another, and he's building upon that. Well, with a story like Ruth, it's all interwoven throughout the story. So I'm not going to throw out an outline at the beginning. Some of you outline people are going crazy right now. The rest of you are going, finally, he's not going to put up an outline. But what's going to happen, I'm going to work down through the story, highlighting the truths and showing how they point to the main overarching truth. Then at the end, I'm going to come back and point out some of the key implications from the main overarching truth that will encourage us to apply them to our lives. Let me say this. I've said this before. It's been a while since I've said this. I don't give applications. What? No, I don't give applications. I point out the implications because application doesn't happen until we walk out that door. You see what I'm saying? Application doesn't happen here. We can talk about application all we want, but it's not going to happen until we go there. So it's the implications of this text that that should stand out to us. And then we take those implications, those key truths, and apply them in our situation because here's what happens. As soon as I give a specific application to a passage, it relates to about this amount of of you all, this much. And there's all these other people. I remember people that, this is years and years ago when I was pastoring down in Texas, Somebody, you need to give more specific applications. And I did, and they got on because I didn't give one that uh, that, that, that related to them, right? Because that's what happens, right? We want to look at the implications of the text and allow the Lord to apply it to our life. In fact, I'm going to give you the main overarching truth up front. As we walk through this portion of the the story, the book of Ruth, and you can watch it jump off every single page. Not only in this portion of the the story we're looking at today, but every single page hence after this. I mentioned this truth earlier with the subtitle, or in reality, the real title, of the message this morning. So here it is. This is the main truth. This is all you get this morning. You got the main message, the main point of the passage, right? The powerful and personal providence of God on display. I promise you that as we walk down through these 13 verses, you will see this everywhere. And in case you don't, I'll point it out, all right? And you may see even more places that I see it. So before we see this truth in our passage for this morning, some, some clarity. Um, it might be helpful to have some clarity. What is providence? I mean, how many of you use the word providence in like your everyday language? You use it every single week? Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah. We don't use the word providence um, in, in, in our vocabulary much, but here's, here's what I would say. We should. We should. And I hope after this morning, that word will come up in conversation that you're having with people time after time after time after time again. That's my hope with this word providence. Uh, it's seen throughout God's word. You can't miss it. Now, it goes in hand in hand with another big word that you like to hear. We'll get to providence in a second that we hear in, in, in maybe church often. Hopefully you hear it. It's the word sovereignty. You all heard the word sovereignty? All right, for someone to be sovereign and specifically God to be sovereign, it means he's absolute authority over all things. He has the right and power to rule, and he's in control of all things. That means he's sovereign. God reigns. You believe that? Even if you don't, it doesn't matter. He still reigns. We're not taking vote here. This is not a democracy. God is sovereign. He is king over all, and he's control over all. I heard one man say one time, if there's one maverick molecule in in the universes that God created, then he is not sovereign. That's how sovereign he is, because there's no maverick molecules out there running loose, that God doesn't reign over. Now, that... Now, let me say, that that's hard for us to accept. I don't know about you, I like to be in control, don't you? Who likes to be in charge in here besides me? Great, four of us. Oh, 14, we got some more over here. We all like to be in charge. We like to be sovereign. So when we hear that God is sovereign in that way, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on, I don't know. Like, but see, God wouldn't be sovereign like us. I, won't, I don't keep going on this because we got a lot, a lot of stuff to cover, but God's not sovereign like us, self-serving. In, in a wrong way. Yeah, God is self-serving because he wants to be glorified, but he understands when we glorify him, we find our greatest pleasure. It's so, it's so true. So he, he, if he's not sovereign, then he's not God. And we're meeting here in vain this morning, worshiping a God who's not sovereign, who's just a little bit better than the best person you can think of. Well, that's kind of scary. It, it, is. It's just, it, it is. Praise his holy name that he is sovereign, not only today, but he was sovereign yesterday. He'll be sovereign tomorrow. And that's who we came to worship this morning, Now, when I think about God's sovereignty in display, I think about the story of Joseph's life in Genesis. The fact of God's sovereignty is all throughout the story of Joseph, in that we see his hand controlling the most intimate details throughout the events of Joseph's Joseph's life and where he has him. Every place he's at, every person he meets, is all part of the sovereignty of God. And not only do we see the truth of sovereignty on full display in that narrative, that a part of Genesis about Joseph, but we also see the biblical truth of providence just as clearly. As I said, they go hand in hand, uh, all right? So sovereign, remember, is it that God is an absolute authority over all things. He rules. He has the power to rule. He has the right to rule. He's in control. Providence, listen really closely, is the personal expression of God's sovereignty. Providence is the personal expression of God's sovereignty, the practical provision of You hear that? Providence, provision, the practical provision of God's sovereignty to work out his eternal plan of redemption. That's what providence is. God's provision, right, to accomplish his eternal purposes. That's probably the best definition we give for providence. It's it's, it's so grand, it's hard to narrow it down in one little definition. But providence is this, God's provision to accomplish his eternal purposes. God provides people, places, events, Weather, seasons, etc., to accomplish his eternal purposes. The things that happen in Joseph's life get him where he want, God wants him to be. Having nothing to do with luck or chance, which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, but has everything to do with the fact that our sovereign God providentially accomplishes his eternal purpose through in the, the events of Joseph's life. We see this clearly stated at the end of Genesis after Joseph's father, Jacob, if you know the story, Jacob has died. Um, And Joseph's brothers who, if you remember, they sold him into slavery, beat him up, sold him into slavery, and then lied and told their dad that he was dead. And then guess who shows up in the most powerful nation in the world who has all the food? Second command, their brother, Joseph. Everything's good, but now Jacob dies, and they're thinking, oh no, Jacob's gone. What's Joseph gonna do now? This is the time he's now gonna, Take us out. That's what they're thinking, right? Look what Joseph says. I love this in Genesis fifty, nineteen and twenty. But Joseph said to them, "Do not be afraid. For am I in the God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Because God is sovereign, He provides what it takes to accomplish His plan. This is providence." He had Joseph right where he needed to be. And Joseph says, hey, what you did, what you, God wasn't intimidated by your sin against me or against him. His plan, oh gosh, God's like, oh man, now what am I going to do now? Joseph's going to be shipped off to Egypt. Can you believe that? God never says, can you believe that? He knows exactly what's going on. He's not only knows what's going on, he's assuring that it will happen because his plan to redeem people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation is going to be accomplished. Don't doubt that ever. He's not in shock here. He knows exactly. He's got Joseph right where he wants him to be. And that's what Joseph, hey, you meant it for evil. Hey, but God meant it for good. Isn't that good news? Evil, God's like, oh man, evil, he's kind of tough. God's like, evil. (laughs) That's what he thinks about evil. He he can handle it. Now, when we try to handle it on our own, it doesn't go too well. But he can handle it, he does handle it. Now, now, granted, I will, I will say this. There's a lot that I know is going through your mind right now. It's, 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 we don't completely understand how God does this. But the scripture clearly teaches that he does. You can't get around it. If you read the word of God at all, you can't get around this truth of God's providence, his practical provision to carry out his eternal purposes. And I'm so glad for his practical provision to carry out his eternal purposes because it was up to us, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Now, we begin to look, and as we begin to look here at Ruth, remember, we're looking for the powerful and personal providence of God on display. That's what we're looking for, all right? That's what we're looking for. And as we walk in this passage, let me remind you that as Ruth and Naomi make their way into Jerusalem, things are as bad as they possibly could be it's the time of the judges, first of all, where God's people are in this terrible cycle. Jay took us through this a couple of weeks ago. Disobedience to God, he brings discipline or judgment or punishment to them. They repent, he brings deliverance. And guess what happens? Same cycle again. Disobedience, discipline, repentance, deliverance. Disobedience, discipline, repentance, deliverance. That's a cycle. That's where they're at. It's chaotic. Their world is in chaos, Naomi has lost her husband and her sons. Ruth has left everything she knows behind. I mean, is this a fun story? No. This is like, this is terrible. They're at the worst place they could possibly be. This is awful. The world's in chaos, and so are Naomi and Ruth's personal lives. It's completely chaotic. Sound familiar? And yet in the midst of the chaos, God is providentially working out his sovereign plan of redemption in and through the chaos in their world and through their difficulty, disappointment, and yes, even in the delights of their lives. He is there. He cares. He loves them. He hasn't forgotten them. Hope is on the way. And we, that hope began to shine its way through at the end of last week's passage. Look at this with me, verse Verse 22. So Naomi returned with with Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. We we, we said this this hinted to God's up to something. Something's going to happen here. The word Bethlehem, notice that word, means house of bread. House of bread. And barley harvest, right, Uh, there's now bread again. There wasn't bread in Jerusalem. That's why they left in the first place. Now they come back, and Bethlehem is living up to her name, the house of bread. And it's a time of the barley harvest when bread would be beginning to to see the the hope that they have. Here, look look at the the wonderful harvest we have. There's going to be some good bread. Uh, This verse gives a glimmer of hope in the midst of a bleak and what seems like hopeless time. Naomi's plight, remember, is one of no hope, no prospect of her family living on or leaving a legacy. That's where she comes to this place. And yet we see a little bit of hope. The Lord is providing for them. Do you see it? Do you see the powerful and personal providence of God on display? Even from that verse right there? I hope you do. Now look at verse 1, chapter 2 with me. Now, Naomi had kinsman of her, husband, of her husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Limelech, whose name was Boaz. Notice those words, a uh, man of great wealth. Some translations say man of standing. Other translations say "worthy, a worthy man. And the reality is when you look at the definition of this word, it has all of that. It's, it's, it's one of these words that's hard to define. So each one of these different translations takes one aspect of it. So in reality, it's, it's not, yes, he, he is a man of great wealth and means, and we'll see that, but he's a man of integrity. He's a man of influence as well. That, that's who Boaz is. This too gives hope, doesn't it? That's the kind of man that Boaz is, and he gets introduced at the beginning of chapter two, right after the downer of chapter one. Here comes Boaz. I love it. It's like Boaz to the rescue. It'd be like music. I don't know what music would be, but it'd be good. All right? Um, just maybe the kinsman, this relative of Naomi's husband might be someone who could help Naomi and Ruth in their dismal situation. Maybe. Do you see it? Do you see the powerful and personal providence of God on display? Throughout this passage, there's an acknowledgement of the Lord's providence by Boaz and Ruth, and I love that. This is a whole other aspect that we could take on. And, 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 just, just show how that, we'll see a little bit of it, but really take it down this road. It's amazing. In spite of the chaotic time and what seems like to be hopelessness for Ruth and Naomi, there is a consistent acknowledgement of the Lord's presence and providence in their lives. Both of them. They cannot see what the Lord is up to exactly, but they know he is sovereign even in the bleakest of times. Ruth shows her profession of faith in Yahweh is the real deal by her actions and words. Listen, a lot of people profess, hey, man, I love Jesus, but their life doesn't show it at all. I I trust in God, but their life doesn't show it at all. If you remember back in chapter 1, Naomi says, hey, I've got a new God. I'm trusting in the real God, Yahweh, the God of Israel now. And all of a sudden, it starts showing up in her life that she trusts in the one true God by her actions and by her words. This too is a testimony of the powerful and personal providence of God on display. Now look at verse 2 with me, still on the screen. And Ruth the Moabite said, Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose side I may find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now look at the, the phrase, the Moabitess. This phrase is meant to contrast with Boaz and his correct and highly thought of family identity in verse 1. He's Boaz a man of standing, of wealth, of integrity, an Israelite who's from the, he's a kin of Elimelech, and she's Ruth the Moabitess. That's the way, if you understood, if we were Jewish and we understood this, we would think, and she's Moabitess. That's exactly how it had been said. Just when there's hope, there seems to be an obstacle to that hope. She's a Moabite. He's a respected Israelite, and she's a Moabitess. Is this obstacle too difficult for God to overcome? Wait and see. Now look at what Ruth asked Naomi. Please let me go to the field, glean from the ears of grain, after one in whose side I may find favor. Notice the phrase, a glean, glean among the ears of grain. See, Provision was made in the Mosaic Law, and you can look it up later. I've got Deuteronomy 22, uh, then Leviticus 19, Leviticus 23. If you want to go look this up later, check me, which is fine. All right, Provision was made in the Mosaic Law for the orphan, the widow, and the alien by commanding the harvesters to purposely leave some of the grain behind as they harvested so those people could come along and be taken care of food-wise. As a Moabite and a widow, listen to this, Ruth is qualified to glean on two counts. She wasn't an orphan, but she was an alien, and she was a widow. However, these same two reasons she could count on food are also the same two reasons that she might not be able to count on the locals to allow her to glean because she was a Moabite and she was a widow. Hope, oh, is there? Is there? this is why she's seeking someone to show her favor. And it's interesting, Ruth, Ruth acknowledges that she, she can't demand, um, but she needs grace, she needs mercy, she needs favor for her to be provided for. FYI, this is one of th- the first of three times in these 13 verses the word favor is used. All right, we'll see that. It's the first of three times the word favor is used. You might want to That should cause the antennas to go up, and we see a word repeated three times in such a short time. The question is, will Ruth find the favor and grace she needs? Well, look at verse 3. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was a family of Elimelech. Notice the phrase, the field belonged to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. The author wants us, the reader, to see hope again. He's of the family of Elimelech, and the only hope for Naomi's family and for Ruth would come from relatives of Elimelech. And as you're reading along, oh, hope. Oh, he's, remember this guy, Boaz, we got to introduce verse 1. He, this is the guy, he's of the family of Elimelech. There, there might be hope here. Could this guy be, hmm, that's what, the, the, what, reader, what the author wants us to, to think. Now, notice the phrase, happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. The the, the word happened. Some translations say, as it turned out. Some translations say, by chance. Literally, it reads this. Her chance chanced upon. Her chance chanced upon. In today's uh, language, it would be this. By a stroke of luck, she came to Boaz's field. Now, what would the original readers thought of chance or luck? They would have understood and believed what is taught throughout Scripture, but summarized in Proverbs 16, The lot is cast in the lap, but it's every direct decision is from the Lord. The lot, kind of like dice, all right, is, is, is cast in the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. The Lord is sovereign over the dice, over the lot. They didn't believe in luck. They didn't believe in chance. They didn't believe in coincidences, and neither should we. That's why I removed these words from my vocabulary many years ago. You'll never hear me see, say "good luck" to anyone. I won't say it. It's perpetrating something that's not true. Oh, come on, Brian. That's kind of getting crazy, you know. It's not okay to say good luck. To- no, it's not, because I don't believe in luck. God bless you. God be with you. God is sovereign. He's working in your life. That's way better than luck. Who wants that? Me. I don't use those words anymore. I got real convicted about it. I said, "Man, what am I saying?" we got to think about what we're saying because we're communicating something when we use words, right? The Jews, God's people, didn't use the word chance or luck or or coincidences. They believed in the sovereignty and province of God, and so should we. This statement of chance in verse 3, back in verse 3, is ironic. It's a rhetorical device to undermine any thought that her coming to Boaz's field was by some rational explanation or human understanding. He, he's tongue-in-cheek by chance. And no reader, no original, re- readers would have gone, yeah, by chance, I wonder what's going to happen. Oh, man, just by chance. No, by God. It meant, it meant, it's meant to highlight the province of God. I, I love, love what a guy named Daniel Block wrote. He said, in reality, the author is screaming, See the hand of God at work here. That's what He's saying. By chance? Do you see it? See, guys, there's no coincidences. There's only God incidences. Now you will have me use it with that word. It's a God incidence because He's in control of the whole thing. Do you see the powerful and personal providence of God on display here? God, I've seen the, the, the powerful and personal presence of God on display in my life this week on multiple occasions. I'll just give you a couple. Jay and I had lunch on Wednesday. We were discussing this passage of Scripture, uh, verses 1 through 13. But that night, John L. and I were reading our devotion that we read, um, as long as I don't fall asleep before she gets there, but we read together, uh, morning and evening. By We do the evening by Charles Spurgeon. It's a great devotion. And, and we, I open it up, and I read it, and here's the, the verse at the top before the devotion right here, it says, uh, verse, yeah, verse three says, so she departed and went to glean in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of oh, the That's the top, I've just been talking about this with Jay. I've been preparing this for three weeks, and boom, there it is. Just by dumb luck, right? By dumb luck. I was just reminded of this great truth, so we read what Spurgeon has to say about this in his devotion. Whoa, man. Wow, God, that was awesome. I remember telling John L. this morning, I was just talking about this with Jay. It's right, it's right there. Holy cow. Well, then John L. and I drive to Wichita, Kansas on Thursday, and then we have this training for FC on Friday. And the leader of the training begins our time in prayer. So I'm just going to give 15 minutes just to spend time in prayer. Well, when I go to prayer, I take my Bible. And here's why. Holy cow. All right, I got to get rolling here. All right, this is this is like a sermon within a sermon. But I take my Bible because it says we pray God's word. We we need to pray according to God's will, and He'll hear us. Well, I know if I pray God's word, it's a lot. We're going to be a lot closer to God's will than mine. So I I pick up and 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 I'm in a reading plan right now, and I just and and just careful about the word I'm going to use. All right, I just happened. I'm going to go ahead and use it. I just happened to be in Luke chapter 11. That's in my reading plan right now. What's Luke chapter 11 about? He just said, Hey, I'm going to give 15 minutes to pray, Jesus. Disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's the Lord's Prayer. Just by dumb luck, I happened to open up Luke 11, and there it was. Holy cow. Can you believe that? The practical, the powerful, practical problems of God to work out his plan in my life. Right? That's just week, and there's a lot more of them. We don't have time. We're only on verse 4. Here we go, verse 4. Now, behold... All right, behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, may the Lord be with you. And they said, may the Lord bless you. In the providence of God, Ruth was at a field when Boaz arrived. You gotta be kidding me. I mean, it's just amazing. You, you can't, can, are you seeing it? If not, we'll you'll see it here in a second, okay? Boaz's greeting to, to his workers shows that he's a man who practices the presence of God in his everyday dealings he wouldn't compare i got my work over here i got church over here i got my buddies over here no he's all through his life he's gracious to his employees therefore they respond in kind this man of grace is exactly what ruth needs and was looking for do you see it do you see the powerful and personal province of god on display now look at verse 5 just in case you don't and you might me might have been a linebacker or something like me and get hit in the head a lot so you need a little extra here you go then boaz said to his Let me go to five. There we go. Then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of reapers, whose young woman is this? Boaz's question causes the reader, listen, it should cause the readers to think also who Ruth is connected to. Who is Ruth? Well, namely, she's Naomi, uh, she's she's connected to Naomi who is the widow of Elimelech, who Boaz is a relative to. Huh. Could this be? Could this be? I look at verses six and seven. Um, the servant in charge of the reapers replied, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the land of Moab. And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Thus she came and has remained from the morning until now. She has been sitting in the house for a little while. Here we see Boaz's servant recount an earlier conversation he has with Ruth. He has given her permission to glean, and she has been gleaning all day. His words, listen, point to the fact that Ruth is a faithful woman. She returned with Naomi. And she's a hard worker. She's remained from morning till now. And, and the last part of the verse is like she's now, she's finally just took a little break. I mean, she's faithful and she's a hard worker. Wow. Well, then like, all right. It's kind of, yeah. He's not saying that quite yet, but inside he's saying that. He'll say it here soon. All right. I wonder what's going on here. You think God might be in control of all this and be a part of it? I think so. Now, v- verses 8 and 9. Notice the phrase, they're... He refers to it, my daughter. He's using this expression, and by doing so, he puts Ruth at ease and shows that he generally concerns for her well-being. He says, my daughter. It's tender. It's the same words that Naomi used for Ruth earlier in our passage, my daughter. Then he says, look, do not glean in another field. Furthermore, do not go on from this one, but stay here with my maids. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. He places her here with the expert gleaners, is what he does, to assure that she gets exactly what she needs and more. This, this is not by accident. He puts her with the good gleaners. Hey, hang out with them. They know what they're doing. He, he's, it's what he's doing. Listen, this is the, the first of three P words provision. Provision comes through God's servant Boaz. Then look what it says Indeed, I have commanded the servants, the male servants, not to touch you or the young men, it says in Chinese translation. He's providing another P word, protection. There's provision for her needs, protection against these young guys. She's young, she went. All right, they're they're looking. Woo, okay, they think the same thing about. What we're going to see Boaz thinks about her. All right, she's attractive in many ways. And then when it says, "When you are thirsty," all right, let me go to the next verse. When you are thirsty, go to the water jars and drink from what the servants draw. Some translations correctly say the young men, servants. The young men, draw. Guys, this was privilege. She didn't have to go on her own. First of all, she's a Moabite, right, and get water on her own. He said, you can drink from the water that the young men are drawing from. It's privilege. Provision, protection, privilege. There's no accident here. God is using Boaz and his plan to provide for Ruth, who will one day, dot, dot, dot. We'll see one day. So we see God use Boaz here to be this source of provision, protection, privilege. Do you see it? Do you see the powerful and personal providence of God on display? Look at verse 10 with me. Then she fell down on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your sight that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Ruth's response to Boaz is their proper response to grace. She knew she didn't earn or deserve Boaz's special recognition of her, for she was a foreigner, she was a Moabite, and she, meaning she was from a different ethnic group. How do we respond to God's grace when he continues to shower upon us? Do we think we are entitled to certain privileges? If we so, we don't understand grace at all. May we respond like Ruth in humility and gratitude. Then look at verse 11. Boaz replied to her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me and how you left your father and your mother in the land of your birth and you came to the people that you did not previously know. Yes, the Lord's grace through Boaz is at work here. She's in, 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 in technical and ethnic considerations. She doesn't deserve what Boaz is granting her. Yet it appears that part of what moves Boaz's heart to give her favor is her faithfulness and kindness to Naomi. That moves him. Her commitment to Yahweh has been manifested through her actions, and he has chosen to bless her for it. This is not my notes. But but young men out there who don't, not, not married yet, look for a woman who not only professes Christ, but possesses Christ. And it shows up in their life with kindness and a servant's heart and a tenderness to the things of God. And that's why Boaz grants here the favor because the Lord has prepared his heart to do so. He's made Boaz to be attracted because he loves God to be attracted to something like that. Look at how God's working in all this. The attractions, desires, God's involved in all of it. Oh, man, look at that girl. That kind of girl? I want to help that kind of girl. I want to help her. Do you see it? Do you see the powerful and personal province of God on display, display here? Look at verse 12 oops, and and, and in so doing, let me say this, when he helps her out, listen, it says, he's honoring God in this too. Look what it says in Proverbs 14, 31. He who oppresses oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Boaz is honoring her as he does this. Now now look at verses 12 and 13. May the Lord, verse 12, reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Continuing to show the man that the Lord has made him to be Boaz, now asks the Lord to shower Ruth with his grace and grant her the refuge and provision that she seeks. Boaz's response here shows that he, 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 sees, he sees himself as an instrument of God's providence. He, he, see, he begins to see himself in, in God's work. Look at the phrase, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Ruth had abandoned her allegiance to the false god of the Moabites, Chemosh, and had placed her full trust in the one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And in so doing, she was seeking refuge for her soul and for her well-being as a whole. The picture of Yahweh as a mother bird who who, who used her, her wings as protection for her helpless babies is a beautiful picture of his divine care for us, isn't it? Just nestle right in there. Just nestle right in there. And it, and it is in, in, in and through Boaz that the Lord answers her longing for refuge. Do you see it? Yeah, I know I've said this like a bunch of times, but I don't want us to miss it. Do you see the powerful and personal providence of God on display? God uses people to accomplish his purpose and plan. Not only was Boaz being used by God to fulfill uh, loose wrong, uh, Ruth's longing, Right, but as I said, he, he's honoring God in the midst of this. He's honoring God, and we do too when we're used by him. Then look at verse 13. He said, I have found favor in your sight. She said, my Lord, for you have com- comforted me and indeed have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I'm not like one of your maidservants. Look, at that, that phrase, I have found favor. Some translations say, I, I am finding favor, or, or you are kind to me. It's an expression of gratitude. It's translated a couple of different ways. Um, and, and there's a reason for that. But it's, it's, all of them point to it as an expression of gratitude. And there's two reasons that she gives here for her expression of gratitude. You have comforted me. You've relieved the tension. You've brought relief. And you've spoken kindly. He, he, you speak compassionately and sympathetically to me in a way that honors me. Notice now the word maidservant or, or servant or slave. All right, Th- This word is the lowest class of servant who could never move up in rank. That's she refers to herself, your maidservant, your maidservant. Your your maid she saw herself as one who had no standing. Remember, if you have the NIV, it says this, Boaz was a man of standing. She was not a person of standing. That's how she sees her, me, your servant. Now, notice the word at the end, maidservants, specifically servant, girls, female servants. This is a different word. I don't know why the NASB translated maidservant, maidservant. It's, it's a different word. And this this is a this is a, this is a servant that could advance to the status of a wife or concubine, right? I'm your servant who who's down here, but you're treating me like up here. That's how Boaz was. That's how she felt. When we're given grace, that's how she, we should all feel. Ruth is amazed at Boaz's compassion toward her, and she was of, she, because she was of the wrong ethnic group, and the wrong social status. Yet Boaz, the man of influence, integrity, and wealth, has showered his grace and compassion on her. Oh, may we, listen very closely. Oh, may we, who are dead in our trespasses of sin, Ephesians 2.1, enemies of God, Romans 5.10, may we too be amazed at the grace and compassion God has showered on us. Hey, we were in the wrong ethnic group, the wrong social status when it comes to God and yet he showered his grace on us. Do you see it? Do you see the powerful and personal providence of God on display? I hope you do. Well, so what? What difference does all this make? You've been up there railing about the powerful, personal providence of God on display this whole time. No, I haven't been railing on it. The, The scripture has been railing on it, hasn't it? You can't miss it. So what? Well, in order to help us understand the so what question, we must first answer another question. Who is the star or main character in this morning's story? Now, at the beginning of this, you might have said Naomi or Ruth or Boaz. No doubt these three play an important part in this amazing story, but none of them are the star, the main character. They're not on the poster out in front of the movie theater. Starring, doesn't say Boaz. It doesn't say Ruth. It doesn't say Naomi. They're a part of the cast of characters, but it's starring, you got it, Aaron, God. God is the, the star of this show here. He's the main character. He's working out a sovereign plan of redemption in and through the chaos in our world and through the difficulties in our lives, the disappointments in our lives, and even in the delights of our lives. He's there. He cares. He loves you. He's committed to making you more like Jesus, and he's committed to doing it for his glory and for your good. Isn't that good news? This is the God that we serve. I promised at the beginning that I would present some implications from the the part of the story of Ruth uh, that we could put to practice, these implications that we could put to practice in our life, or at least they would send us down the right way, all right? So here they are. First one is trust in the powerful and personal providence of God in your life. Trust in it. Because listen, what we trust in impacts our life. What we believe, what we truly believe, if you really believe something, it will impact your life. And we truly trust, we truly believe the powerful personal problems of God in my life, in your life. We know he's at work. It will impact our life. Then next, look for the powerful and personal problems of God in your life. Start looking around. Man, where's God? That's not a coincidence because there's nothing, it's not luck. God's at work. Look what he's doing here. He happened to bring me at this place, this time brought this person in my life. He helped me bring me to this place, to the right place at the right time, right? All part of his plan. Start looking for it. Then thank God for the powerful and personal providence of God in your life. God, thank you. You're at work. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Be like Ruth. Humbly, Lord, thank you. I don't deserve this. This is incredible. Thank him. And then fourthly, Tell others about the powerful and personal promise of God in your life. Hey, you, you, see what, you know what God's doing in my life here? He did this the other day, and he did this. And can you believe that this happened over here, and he did this? I, I tell you, growing up, I saw this. I was in a, a pastor's home. My dad was a preacher for many, many years. We a little small Baptist church in the Ohio River in Kentucky. We didn't have much. My grandmother bought our school clothes for us, and we ate lots of liver, chicken liver, lima beans. We had cereal once a week because it was so expensive. We ate eggs every morning, which that's part of why me and my brothers are so big. All right, but all that, we didn't have much. And, and all of a sudden, something would be something happening. My, my mom and dad would be praying, hey, Lord, please provide for us. And a check would come in the mail, and it would be just for what we needed. I've seen this in my life all the time, and if we look, at it's there. And I, wanna, I want us to be people who are going to tell others about that. So who gets the glory then? God gets the glory. Do you see it? Did you see it? I hope you saw it. And guess what? You're gonna see it next week and the week after that, and the week after that. And my hope is we're gonna start seeing it every single day in our lives. I'm looking, I just I just caught the eye. The, the Lord put us across the street from the boons. That's not by accident, Boons. It's not by they're, they're a joy to us. We help each other out. We watch each other kids, we, we throw our cat back and forth for each other, that keeps running back and forth. We, we feed her, you know, we do all it, it, it's, it's a, not it's not by accident. God put us across from the boons. He didn't do that by accident. It's on purpose. And we're going to find more and more what that purpose is as we continue to walk together. Look for it. Share it. Thank God for it. Believe it. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for your word. Lord, I, 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 I'm so I've been overwhelmed all the last three weeks studying this. I'm more overwhelmed this morning, even teaching through it again. Lord, you are an unbelievable gracious God that you would use us to fulfill your purposes and your plans in this world for your glory and for our good. We give you thanks in Jesus' name, amen. At the end of our time, we're going to have couples up here at the front. If you need somebody to pray with, you've got questions, uh, if you want to know how you can know this wonderful God that uh, Ruth trusted in, um, uh, we have people up here to talk to you about that. Would you stand with me and let's, let's end our time reading together this amazing truth that reminds us of the powerful and personal province of God in our lives, taken from not on there? I'm stuck. Oh, there we go. Romans eight twenty eight. Here we go. Let's read this together. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Amen. You're dismissed.